soon after I dropped that altar, broke that toe and read Newman's story, I went to become vicar of his old church in Oxford, the University Church of St. Mary the Virgin. I was warned that the brooding presence of Newman hovered over it. Well, I certainly knew that presence, but I found it a reassuring, friendly one. All I had to do was to open the baptismal or burial registers, and there I saw his neat, spidery signature. Here was evidence of Newman's involvement in the joys and sorrows of his people. Most poignant, I found those many entrances, too many entrances, in the burial register of babies and young children. Here was someone who knew the sharp end of pastoral work. It was out of all this human contact that there emerged those famous sermons which drew the crowds, young and old alike. Neither the content nor the delivery was dramatic. There were no wild gestures or theatrical rantings. These were carefully prepared homilies, beautifully crafted and delivered in a rather quiet voice. But congregations were gripped. Why? I suppose because the preacher spoke of the reality and wonder of God, of the God who touches us in the detail of everyday living. Later, as a Catholic, Newman became a disciple of St. Philip Neri, the man who founded the Oratorian Order of Priests, priests dedicated to live together in friendship with one another and with God. Newman pioneered the oratory in Birmingham. Now here was for him an entirely new pastoral situation. The dreaming spires of Oxford, left behind for an industrial city with its black, noisy factories and crowded back-to-back -back houses. The preaching continued, but now as well long hours were to be spent in the confessional, and there were the duties of setting up a new school. That involved not only teaching and care of pupils, but also dealing with difficult and temperamental teachers. And what mattered so much to Newman, keeping alive channels of communication with parents. Causes, some frankly seeming to us of interest only to the most zealous ecclesiastic, came to dominate the latter part of Newman's life in the Church of England. He became a campaigning parson, riding round the countryside delivering pamphlets. When he became a Catholic, well, there were certainly controversies and causes, but his focus became more and more on individuals. Newman had a great respect for the rank-and-file laity of the church. They were not to be sent to bed or treated as boys eternal, but encouraged to grow up into a mature adult faith. When his bishop asked rather loftily who were the laity, he answered the church would look pretty foolish without them. And when the papal chamberlain, Monsignor Talbot, stated that the province of the laity was simply to hunt, to shoot, to entertain, Newman pointed out how in the fourth century, when the bishops were unfaithful, lured by the Arian vision of an hierarchical god, which fitted nicely into the current model of society, it was the body of the laity which was faithful to its baptism and held to the equality of Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Newman treated the faithful as grown-up people, each individual making his or her own unique spiritual journey. Often, like us, they had difficulties 
and doubts. And they weren't much helped by zealots of a dogmatizing spirit, by those who were narrow, rigid and authoritarian. Newman believed in what he called reserve, reserve in communicating faith. By this he didn't mean a stilted British stiff upper lip, but a sensitivity, a gentleness in dealing with people. The kindly light of truth leads. It doesn't, as the aggressive, insolent party of super-Catholics did, jostle or bully. Oh yes, authority was to be respected, but those who exercised it were not to be fawned over, as Goneril and Reagan fawned over their father King Lear, but to be loved, as the quiet, faithful Cordelia loved her father, by daring to speak the truth. It had always to be remembered that the Church taught that the highest authority of all was conscience. Conscience, which Newman said, is the aboriginal vicar of Christ. So Newman declared, If I am obliged to bring religion into after-dinner toasts, I shall drink to the Pope, if you please. Still, to conscience first, and to the Pope afterwards. 